Welcome to the podcast. Charlie Baker is often called the most popular governor in the country, and polls indicate he has a huge lead in the race for governor. But is he a real Republican, or a Republican in name only? My name is Bruce Mole of Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are two gentlemen who probably have different opinions about the governor. Ed Lyons, a political writer and longtime Republican activist, and John Walsh, a former chairman of the state Democratic Party. Let's start with you, Ed. Do Republicans worry about the republicanism of Charlie Baker? Yes. uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, They are worried. A lot of Republicans are losing faith in the Republican character of our governor. Uh, The majority support him, but uh, many are upset with what they're seeing. Um, and wonder whether or not that they're getting value out of having a Republican governor. And we're also about to have a governor's race where a lot of people who are Democrats are going to say, we don't see any value to having a Republican governor either. So I think it's a good time to ask this question, you know, is Baker Republican? And if he is a Republican, what is everybody getting out of that? And why are people saying that? Why, why are they saying he's not a true Republican? Well, I think that a lot of people have a kind of a national political citizenship. I think that a lot of Republicans in this state you know, turn on Fox News and are on the internet and social media. And uh, Charlie Baker doesn't sound like the Republicans they're seeing on Fox, that his style is very different. He likes to work with Democrats at a time when tribalism demands you must be constantly attacking the other side. Uh, also, they see legislation uh, that he's signing that they don't support. And they don't, they don't think that he's fighting for their values. So, you know, uh, a lot of Republicans don't like Charlie Baker. And a lot of the ones that do really wish that he was more of a Republican as they define the word. So it's a significant problem. This caused a disaster at the convention where Scott Ladley got on the ballot. There's all kinds of symptoms of this. So he has majority support, but a lot of Republicans are very disappointed, especially in the light of the grand bargain being signed and everything else. So there's a real kind of, you know, kind of a down feeling about Baker among a lot of Republicans. John, how do you see it? Well, all my Republican friends tell me. Actually, I do have a number of Republican friends. I I think Ed describes it well, that uh, one of the potential problems for Charlie Baker is that he does not have the passion of his base. And I think Ed describes some reasons. There are things that they see he does that they don't really like. They don't see him articulating um, Republican values. I think that one of the things, if you took some of those Republicans and you put them in a room with active Democrats, they would find some uh, common ground. Because Democrats don't hear Charlie Baker articulating any values, any priorities, anything that impacts them that they care about, he's sort of become part of the worst side of Beacon Hill. I mean, he's just there to get reelected. And I think that that's really one of the problems. And in in a race, which is still five weeks away uh, for the primary, and then a little almost 100 days before the voters have to decide whether Charlie Baker gets a term, if nobody's passionate about you, and then you start looking at the job he's doing, I think that's what makes him vulnerable. But I do think that problems at home in his party's base, in his party's philosophy, is one of the undergirding problems for Charlie Baker as a candidate. Now, Ed, you wrote a piece for Commonwealth Magazine that laid out a a little different viewpoint of Charlie Baker. Uh, You talk about that he's pretty successful at, at creating create, uh, creating friction uh, with the Democrats on Beacon Hill. Talk a little bit about that. 
So I do think there's a lot of passion for Shai Baker. I think I have enough passion about, about Shai Baker for all 440,000 Republicans. Uh, um, but when I mean that he's having problems in the party, I mean that, you know, shockingly, you know, 30 to 40 percent of Republicans, you know, can't seem to find the way to like the, the best Republican governor in America. I mean that it's kind of tragic, but he still has majority support. Um, and so I think the problem is, is that they want him to be kind of an uber legislator to get things they want passed or to stop things and pass them they don't like. So, you know, what Charlie Baker says is I create friction. I can, I can get successes that are for Republicans and for everyone else. I can reform things that Democratic governors would not reform. I can make all kinds of decisions that, will, that, that you will like because only a Republican governor would do them. So I, th I think he is successful as a Republican governor. But because he's not legislatively that successful, although he has had some successes, I think a lot of Republicans are disappointed because the only way they're judging is on legislation. Um, and there, there's, there's a idea you put forth that he's brought Democrats into his cabinet and sort of and the way he frames the debate. So one issue that I'm particularly interested in is the MBTA. And you characterize it, he's characterized it as a, a, workfor a workforce, sort of the, a manpower issue there. Um, who's running it? How do they run it? That sort of thing, as opposed to an infrastructure problem. Um, you, you think he frames problems correctly, right? Well, differently than Democrats. I think that on the left, the, the MBTA conversation is entirely about um, infrastructure problems and a lack of money. I think Charlie Baker saw the MBTA as an organization of several thousand people that needed to perform better. And uh, his people have discovered a litany of management and problems and cost and fixed a lot of those things. And they found a lot of new money that was already in the budget without raising taxes, whether it's enough is a whole other issue. But I don't believe the Democratic governor would have found all of these problems or would have fixed them. I think the conversation would have been entirely about infrastructure and revenue. And I think that the, the people got more out of that approach than making it about those other things. And I think there's many areas where his approach, a Republican approach, actually got results, where I don't know if a Democratic governor would have gotten those results. John, sometimes... Um uh, I know I'm a reporter, so you know I have a different perspective than a lot of other people, probably. But yes, I don't think you're the enemy of the people, by the way. <laughs> okay, no way. <laughs> but it, but at times I think Charlie Baker is popular because he isn't always pushing a an agenda a lot of the time, and maybe that's a problem in your view. But at the same time, he he tries to portray himself as a guy who's addressing problems where he finds them, whether it's at the T, that one was sort of forced on him when the T collapsed, or, or just about anything in state government. He's trying to figure out a way to address that problem. I think people respect that, you know, that, that he's, he's not um, taking a left or right viewpoint of every issue. Um, you, I, I'm guessing you disagree. Well, I, I, I hear your point, and first of all, I... Uh, to, to hear Ed introduced as a Republican writer, I've had, thank you, I had the chance to read his piece, and I would recommend everyone read it on Commonwealth because it's a thoughtful um, uh, um, articulation of his point of view. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things in, in that, in, to, to go to your point, is that Ed describes the tensions that Charlie is about people. And not to pick on the piece, but what he basically says is he hired some Democrats. And so, therefore, that's one reason to elect Charlie Baker. Well, a Democratic governor will hire some Democrats, too. I, I find it interesting that you don't articulate any Republicans he hired that are doing particularly insightful good work. I can do that. Okay, we can do that. But, <laughs> but, but to your point, I do think that Charlie maybe doesn't have, doesn't push an agenda, 
I don't know if he has an agenda, but uh, since we're talking about the MBTA and defining it as people, uh, Charlie Baker actually has had a pretty consistent agenda at the MBTA and in many places that employees are the problem. So we had this, the legislature, which I wasn't happy with, gave him sort of carte blanche on uh, privatization with the exemption from the Pacheco law. We had a number of his efforts that failed miserably uh, at, on the ride, the count room, the bus contract, all these things that was, oh, the, the employees are the problem and just give us a reform agenda. I, he had a carte blanche and it disappeared because it didn't work. And the ones that he did put in place didn't, the, the bus contractors would say millions of dollars, he had one bidder. On the, on the ride, it made it worse. On the, they, some, apparently, some people in the counting room weren't working so hard. They hired a firm, and they stole the money in the counting room. So this idea that Baker thinks that the workers are the problem, and I understand what Ed's saying, that you know Democrats would define it as a, an issue of capacity, as an issue of resources. Charlie Baker's traffic is the most constant way people interface. We're choking on it. This legislative session just ended. No efforts on transportation. No, I don't mean any results. There's no governor's agenda when people are stuck. We have the worst commuter rail system in America. We have a T that's collapsing. Some of the wonderful Democrats, like Stephanie Pollack, who I personally like, says that what they're doing at the T is fixing things that people can't see. And it'll take 20 years. So if you're stuck in traffic, don't worry. Governor Baker's got a 20-year plan. You'll be all set in 20 years. It's just time. If you, I mean, I hear the point that Governor Baker's popular, and you can frame it that he's not driving a, you know, some particular political agenda. I don't think he's driving any agenda. And there are big, big structural problems that need addressing. And with the end of this legislative session, with no governor leadership, education, health care, traffic and transportation, opioid solutions are left undone because of Charlie Baker's sit back and, and love his poll numbers kind of governing. A um, couple things on that. As long as you bring, it, bring up congestion, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts because this, this, this session, uh, there was a, um, it's still not quite over, but the legislature proposed a pilot project to test whether reducing tolls on the turnpike at certain times of the day, off-peak times, might pull people out of peak times and reduce congestion during that time. Uh, the governor uh, didn't want that. He wants to do a study of the issue. And it recalled for me uh, a couple years back, there was also a provision in the, in, that was being debated on Beacon Hill to seek federal funding for a study of a vehicle miles traveled. A VMT fee. Baker wanted no part of that either. Um, Ed, is that a signal to that base that I'm going to fight anything about tolls and fees and that sort of thing? Or is it because it seems to run counter to his, you know, I'm going to experiment, I'm going to figure out the best way to do something? Because these were just tests that wouldn't cost anyone anything, they were voluntary. It, it, it just struck me as odd from all angles. Well, uh, I think that the governor does like to experiment. I think that that doesn't mean you try every experiment. Stephanie Pollock did say that this is sort of an odd way to try to do congestion pricing in terms of the total thing. And she wasn't sure. And it would also mean less money for a system that needs more money. 
so they just weren't sure about it. I think that the vehicle's mile thing is very controversial in terms of, you know, how would you track that, uh, privacy concerns with the data. So, you know, there are a lot of things you could do, but one of the things that I think is a hallmark of the Baker administration is saying we would... We really can't do everything. We can only do a certain number of products very well, whether it's fixing the tea, whether it's um, healthcare, all the work he's doing in healthcare. You can't do everything. This will cause the Democrats to say he's not doing enough. That's fine. They will continue saying that for the next you know, few months. But I think that doing less and doing it better and being cautious rather than aggressive is you know, something I think he's, he's done well. I, I, I think there's always more that you can do. I don't mean to trivialize all the things we can do, but I, I do think that his his restraint is actually seen as a good thing. I don't, people saying that he's cautious. Cautious is not a, a pejorative word. I think that it's good to be cautious about uh, what things you want to try. And if there's no clear benefit, then then maybe he doesn't want to do it yet. There are plenty of times Baker, you know, kind of waits and sees and then does it. He doesn't always say no and then continue to say no. I think his agenda is pretty, he has an agenda, but it's pretty nonpartisan. It's not that he doesn't have an agenda. He cares very much about schools and communities and transportation. But he's not pushing sort of a partisan edge to it the way you'd see in California or New Jersey or Texas. So it doesn't have a partisan feel. Therefore, people who are real partisan maniacs don't think it's an agenda because they're used to seeing things expressed in a very partisan way. And he doesn't do that, even when I think he is subtly being partisan about how he frames that agenda. But if I could say, you know, listen, one of the big issues we have in Massachusetts is lack of focus on driving into and supporting and reinforcing our biggest asset which is an educated workforce. Ed, and I want to say, I don't know what Charlie Baker's agenda is on education. I know it started off as a massive effort to privatize public schools with a ballot question that he put his own resources, his own face and voice, his own resources and money, the resources and money we come to find out of some of his closest employees into an effort to really hurt local schools. I'm, that's my opinion of it. And the voters overwhelmingly agreed. I know that... Before Charlie Baker arrived, we had two years in a row with tuition freezes at UMass. Tuition has gone up every year. Fees are going up every year. Student debt's going up every year. Partis a bipartisan study so it showed that we're $1 to $2 billion underfunding K through 12. We couldn't make any steps on that because the governor doesn't lead. I agree, education's thing. I guess I would accept you say, Governor Baker cares about it, but the only evidence I see is a massive push to privatization through charter schools that was overwhelmingly examined and rejected by the voters. And since then, nothing except no new money, higher debt on students, more layoffs in local schools, $17,000 to get um, early childhood education, and the governor's agenda is nonpartisan. It's non-existent, never mind nonpartisan. I just don't know what it is. He And he doesn't want to talk about it. And honestly, as I, I don't want to, as I'll, be, I'll take a little hit for the Dems. I don't think the Democrats are pushing him very hard on it either. But that's a big problem. I hear they're in control of the legislature, but that may be a rumor. They are in control of the legislature. I wish the hell they'd, I mean, we'd do another show on that, but, but yeah, if, if the whole thing about Charlie Baker is he's ineffective and it's somebody else's fault, that sounds very familiar to me. Well, uh, that would be your fault on your side, just for the record. <laughs> no, no, fine. So uh, we'll, uh, let's talk about that. But, but th th this issue of the legislature is an interesting sure. one because we saw the dysfunction of the Democratic-controlled legislature this week, this yes. past week. Uh, they just left tons of stuff till the very end. And I totally understand that brinksmanship involved with that but it looked awful yeah. and and it and they clearly have not are not of one mind about education 
congestion, traffic, the T, they don't know where they stand. You increasingly have a Senate that is becoming more and more moving further and further to the left, and you have a House that seems to be moving, moving pretty much in lockstep with Charlie Baker on a lot of things. Um, and I, I, it, it doesn't seem like the Democrats have it figured out by any stretch. So listen, let's pretend there's a cynic at the table. None of us, of course, are cynical. Um, but my friend Governor Patrick used to say that in Beacon Hill, it's not about Democrat and Republican. It's about inside and outside. And what's on display in this end of legislative session, as articulated in, uh, by former Senator Ben Dowling in, in an interesting post on one of your sister stations out west, uh, that this is a this dysfunction is unnecessary, unexplainable, and only can be attributed to the benefit of the insider class, whoever you think it is moving those channels. But if the governor has an agenda. He can move it. When uh, in Commonwealth Magazine, Emily Norton, a guest contributor in 2014, wrote this whole article about you want reform, elect a Democrat. In transportation, who got rid of the turn? Who complained about the Turnpike Authority for 30 years? Republicans. Who got rid of it? Deval Patrick. Who put flaggers on the streets? By the way, when Deval Patrick was governor, there was a map on Mass.gov. You could find out. Some people thought there were too many. Some people didn't think there were enough. How's that going, the whole flagger thing with Charlie Baker? By the way, how's the Mass State Police going? How's the Department of Revenue going with all their great IT improvement? How's, how's the Registry of Motor Vehicles doing? How long, do you, how long does Shirley Long have to stay and uh, wait in line for her stuff? Just go on and on. That, by the way, for, for, thank God for Charlie Baker. Department of Conservation and Recreation has not had any public blow-ups about their uh, their hack hiring hall over there. Now they just had a former Quincy school committee member who got a job over there after getting disbarred. That got a little bit of a blip. But the idea that Charlie Baker is driving any kind of agenda is a, and yeah, I'm going to hold, I'm, I do hold, I publicly hold the Democrats in the legislature responsible for not driving our own agenda through that. But if you, if we did have a cynic at the table, they might say, that there's a little wink and nod, but the bills that get passed too late for the legislators to collect, to correct after Charlie Baker screws with him this week, you know, did did we not know when the deadline was? But look at all the contradictions we were just asked to accept in that little monologue. So Charlie Baker is somehow so powerful that he can drive any agenda he wants, unless it's charter schools. He can do all these things. He somehow can anesthetize the Democratic legislature to do whatever he wants, even though he doesn't really have an agenda. So how can all these things be, be true at the same time, where he's powerful when, it, when you want to make him look bad, but then he's useless when you, want, when you want him to be useless? Like, if he can drive an agenda, why haven't some of his agenda items succeeded? What how is, is his he... agenda, Ed? I mean, just, I mean I'm, I, to be honest, I'm open to talk about it. I just don't know. You picked education. What's his education agenda? Well, for instance, he's a, he's, a, he's a big supporter of vocational and educational technical schools. He's a big supporter. Evidenced by? Evidenced by the fact he that. He says nice things about him. You know, not everything is about There's money. There's no new money. There's no reforms. There's no expansion. But the decision to, the decision so to we, make. So he praises something that's already in place before he gets there. That's his agenda? Fortunately, I can respond with quality instead of quantity to all these charges being le leveled at. By the way, I was at the Department of Motor Vehicles two days ago with a squirming toddler. I got out of there in about 15 minutes. The people there are wonderful, and they created improvements in process and training when I asked them why it was so good there lately. Did I know Shirley Young had a bad experience. I think she went to find a real ID. I didn't do that this time. Yeah. You, were you going to the Nantucket Registry? That's been going pretty good. You know, <laughs> I'm not one of the well-pants people in the party. I went to the one in Revere with ordinary Americans. Awesome. But, 
Back to that original, is he, is he a Republican? Perhaps his biggest influence is one that he doesn't strongly um, articulate in a, in a big way. But the two Democratic candidates for governor are clearly looking for new revenues all over the place. They see a, a, a need to invest heavily in state government, and they want to invest huge amounts, which to most people means higher taxes or whatever. Baker has, like him or not, say so he doesn't have an agenda, he has skillfully resisted that move without drawing an enormous amount of attention to it. Uh, and that's a pretty Republican uh, ideal, you know, hold the line on taxes. And, and it is interesting, Massachusetts voters seem to, I mean, they've often elected a Republican governor for that very reason. They don't like the results of that. In the WBUR poll, um, it says, there's, there's and, and last time I was here, we talked about it. You ask people, do you like Charlie Baker? Yeah, they do. If you ask him, what do you like about him? It's a humana something. He's a nice guy. He gets along with people. You know, he didn't screw up the marijuana law, whatever. I mean, there's very few things. And then you ask them specific, education, transportation, health care. On none of those issues do a majority of Massachusetts voters say that Charlie Baker's doing a good job. And they, I bet if you ask them the question, is he doing a bad job, they wouldn't say that either because he's not doing the job. The reason that Democrats are pushing for more revenue is that we have traffic jams extending in all directions. We have the worst commuter rail system. We are, we are underfunding our K-12 art programs, special ed programs, um, st student fees are increasing. Brockton's laying off more teachers for the fourth year in a row, and there's no effort. Listen, if there's a – if there's a – people care about health care and education and transportation. If Charlie Baker has a way we can do better without taxes, then let's hear it. There is nothing he's proposing, and we are doing nothing. And by the way, let's just put this in the context of when we're living. We're living during an economic boom, an extended period of economic growth, strong jobs – and this year particularly booming state revenue. So the point is, what about when it changes? Then what are we going to do? And that's when I would answer the question, we're going to find out, yeah, Charlie Baker is a very serious Republican. He's the guy whose first job was at the Pioneer Institute. He's the guy who only cares about no new taxes. He's the guy who believes in privatizing transportation and education. And when the economy turns, prediction for Democrats is going, you're not that bad. Charlie Baker is going to be a disaster for the priorities that Democrats have. He's not a half-assed Democrat. He's a Republican who's just sitting and waiting, and he does he has no agenda other than no new taxes. I mean, it's amazing. We have a problem with revenue and tax revenue is booming all at the same time. Yet another contradiction in the same paragraph. Like, I, 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 we, you know, all these things can't be simultaneously true. I think that... The economy is booming. The state tax revenue is actually doing quite well. I think $41.88 billion is enough to take care of our state's needs without raising more revenue. The Democrats disagree. They're running on it. That's fine. But the legislature also isn't disagreeing with Chai Baker. It isn't like they're passing tax increases. It isn't like they're dedicating more money to the MBTA. How does Chai Baker have this magical power over all these Democrats? I just don't understand how that, how that could be the case. Well, you could ask him. Just ask them for it. That would be one way. If he believes it, or if he doesn't believe it, say he's opposed to it. He's just he's just the governor, though. He's just he's just, just the governor. He's just the governor. He's not the he's governor. Not king. The in Massachusetts, the structure is the governor has the bully pulpit. He has the administrative control. And he has the, uh, the not only the rec moral requirement, but has the 
authority to be the initiator of policies, and he's not doing it. He's just not on things that matter to us. He's not do people get it, and that's his problem. And I, and listen, I I get the polls. I trust Steve Cazella's numbers. It is a disaster for us in a boom economy. We are clean energy. We're sliding. Education. We're crumbling in some areas and sliding in others. On transportation, we're backed up in every direction. And there's, it's not so much that we're, the, the agendas Charlie's put forward, privatization of education, privatization of the T, they have failed. And there's no, how about the, just the, we've gone from the Commonwealth Avenue Bridge is now the most important issue in Massachusetts, I get. I don't come in from the West, but I imagine it would be. We have gone, in the Val Patrick administration, we had an accelerated bridge program because he inherited 732 structurally deficient bridges. And how did we do that? Because we did infrastructure repair by anecdote. Look, we're fixing that bridge. The, that accelerated bridge program expired last year. There's nothing to replace it. We're back to, look, we're fixing the Commonwealth Ave Bridge. Look, we're fixing that. The structural deficit and the, and the and that is going to get worse because we're not putting it together and putting a plan together. He has no agenda. He is a guy who does nothing, and so that's popular in good times. So, Ed, I I don't know if I agree with the view that he's doing nothing at the T. But I mean, the Communist Union doesn't seem to think so. They're the ones who'll tell you quite strongly what a Republican that he is. No, but <laughs> they signed a deal with him. Good for them. There is a there is a <laughs> an agenda they have at the T. Oh um, yes. But I guess what I'm curious about this whole issue of additional revenues. I think it's going to come it's going to come to a head. Let's just stick with the T for a minute. It's going to come to the head in the not too distant future. Sure. It's not going to come ahead before the election. Paul, he, he, the, the Baker folks are going to make sure that doesn't happen. But if he was to embrace new revenues. Um, you know, like he embraced charter schools, which was a, you know, that, that's a gutsy call, no matter what you do. That's a gutsy call. If he was to embrace new revenues, would Republicans just run away from him? No, because he's the only base of power we have in the state. Uh, we don't, the Democratic Party is mature. They have multiple bases of power, multiple sources of money and ideas, and we have Charlie Baker, more or less. So when you say run from Charlie Baker, yes, the, what we would, the party would become probably less enthusiastic about him, but I'm sure he would, if he needed to do that, to agree with that, let me just say, by the way, the, the legislation should come from the people. I have many state legislator friends. Legislation comes from them, not the governor. They're, we elect them to set the agenda. The fact that they're letting Chai Baker supposedly set the agenda, although he supposedly has no agenda, is bizarre to me. I can't imagine some of my friends down the street here, did you know the fact that it's not your job to propose a legislation agenda? They say, that's what I'm elected to do. Not the governor. He's just the governor. Yeah, anyway, but, but, but to your point, that I think that... But the governor is saying we don't need new revenues on the T right now. Yeah. Just periodic fare increases and what have you. I think that's going to – I don't think that's going to be able to hang on f for much longer. But look up, but look how far it's gone. Like, I, I, I said I in the podcast three years ago, oh, there's no way we're going to make it a few more years without new revenue. This year they're going to hit the state of good repair number with $780 billion, uh, million, $180 million for the first time ever. We're finally going to keep up with the backlog. We haven't been able to do that in many years. So Baker has gone, Baker and his team, have gone much further without 
a new revenue, quote unquote, than I could have possibly imagined. So I don't think this can go on much longer. I do think that the public will want the tea fixed faster. But of course, it's not just about money. You have to have capacity. I ride the tea off peak a lot, and there's a lot of closures to fix things. It's very hard to fix a lot of the system while the system is running live. They can't shut down the tea twice as often to fix it twice as fast, or else we can't even use it. So how much the tea can do at once is an interesting problem. I'm not sure more money is going to be the answer. I do think they should increase their capacity over time. Um, but I don't know when it will come time for new revenue. When it becomes obvious, maybe Governor Baker will support it. Maybe the legislature will, 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 will vote for it and override Governor Baker and make it so without his approval. It's not all up to him. I agree with that. And one, I know we must be getting close on time, but to, to reinforce one of the things Ed starts with is speaking to my Republican friends. How's the state of the party having Charlie Baker as your leader? Other than governor and lieutenant governor, where are you competitive? Where are those places you're taking these nasty Democrats on and got a chance to beat them? Where's the party investing in that infrastructure? They're investing in Charlie Baker in order to get him reelected. And all these terrible Democrats in the legislature, most of them, they're going home for the summer. They're not knocking on doors. Not, because there's nobody challenging. They're not at risk. They're not at risk. They're not at risk. I get. So just one of the reasons I think Republicans might not like Charlie Baker is it's all about him. Just like when Mitt left. And when Charlie decides to go, the party's going to be in the same mess it's been in. I am in favor of competition. I'm not responsible for getting the Republicans to compete. I think the reason that the party doesn't compete as Republicans, because they have no ideas. The energy on the party is in opposition to Charlie Baker. And they're either going to continue to deal with this or they're going to be happy that, I can't believe we got through this. Like, I get that. I can't believe we got through it either. That's not true if you're on the green line when it goes down or you have to kick the windows out of the red line or the orange line to get out of a smoke-filled thing. We're not getting, we're not getting along. The state of the Republican Party... It's not, it's not up to me to decide, but I bet that's another reason why Republicans aren't happy with Baker. There's no effort because he's not pushing an agenda, he's not recruiting people to drive an agenda, and we're getting nowhere as a state. Well, that's, that sounds really terrible. I hope the voters find out about this and make an informed choice and get rid of this terrible man. <laughs> so on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Ed Lyons and John Walsh for being here, and we'll see you next time on the podcast.